Hello and welcome back to Bourbon Barrel Talk. I'm your host, Scott Minton. Today we are sitting down with Mr. Travis Hill at his house. And we are, our special guest today is John Wadle with uh, Peerless Distilling Company. How are you doing today, John? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we're glad to have you here. So we're going to find out what you guys are doing and Peerless is doing. And uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff and kind of navigate those waters. So if you don't mind, tell us a, tell us a little bit about yourself and then what you do at Peerless. Yeah, so my name's uh, John Wadle. I am the uh, single barrel curator at Kentucky Peerless Distilling Company. So to put a, you know, kind of summarize it there, basically, you know, uh, when barrels become of age, we have a tasting team that consists of myself, Caleb, our master distiller, Nick, he's one of our other distillers there. And uh, I get to taste through all these barrels after maturation and become of age and then help decide which ones go into the barrel program, which then I'll sell to private groups, restaurants, bars, enthusiasts, such as uh, everyone sitting here at this table pretty much. And uh, do a little bit of uh, fermentation, do some distilling down there as well, and a little bit of everything. All right. So for one, one, how do you get on the list? And then two... What um, states are you currently distributed in? We don't talk about the list. Ugh, well, I mean, the no, list has no, to come through. Totally so the list comes through distribution. He'll tell us that. <laughs> don't, but, like, don't share a secret. Then yeah. if we give out the list, then we don't get the list anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, the list, you know, because we are, we keep, keep in mind, we do 10 to 12 barrels a day. And they keep you, uh, you know, give you an idea about production. Your bigger distillers, they're producing 2,000, 3,000 plus. They do more in a day than we ever do in a year. So we limit ourselves. So we only do 50 bourbon and 50 rice. So we're talking 100 single barrels a year that we do. Um, so right now, the current list is about almost two years out. But keep in mind, I always like to tell people that list is very flexible. We have groups that don't select every year with us, um, new opportunities that come come about that we want to pursue and things like that so the list is like a love and hate thing you know you have your certain groups that pretty much we take care of every year based on you know uh, certain things and um and the second question was what was the second question again which states are you distributing in distributing we're in about 47 states with the the rye yeah yeah and about 27 28 with the bourbon so you know the the controlled states are a little bit the ones that are ones that are tough to tackle and uh, things like that but you know we we try to make sure we have a wide distribution you know some states do better than others but it's uh we're definitely all over the place so that's really interesting that you have such a variety and a gap between the bourbons and the rise i wonder like what causes that because you're i mean your bourbons are catching i guess they're catching on more i mean the double oaks i mean obviously those are those are probably fantastic um the two that i've had i've loved both of them obviously i'm really biased to double oak but i wonder what kind of causes that gap you think well i also think you know the rye came out first and it had a two-year two-year head start of the bourbon right so i mean the bourbon we've only been out for about one or about two years too as well but you know the rye had a good head start and it's what we launched with so we we went public with a, a rye whiskey so we were able to reach a lot of markets ahead of time whereas the bourbon you gotta think it's crazy when people think of like distribution like oh you just be able to send it anywhere depending on stores everything else i mean not to get like too technical, but you're talking like about certain barcodes they have to get right, certain paperwork, um, permission from states and things like that. So it's 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 a process to get stuff in. Then you got to think about labels, right? The TTB getting labels approved and everything. So it's just uh, it just doesn't happen overnight. And I think a lot of people forget that because once again, you know, we're all excited. Even I have the same way. Like, why isn't that bourbon yet here? Like, yeah. why why don't we have a uh, smoke wagon yet here in Kentucky? Right at one point, and then you know, it just it just takes time and. Uh, but 
we'll, we'll eventually be, you know, we like to have a big distribution. We more even outside of the United States. You got to think we, we've done picks of bourbon and rye with N10 over in the UK. We're in Australia. We're in Korea. Um, so it's just all about what makes sense and uh, what's the easiest and, you know, the less like, uh, what's what I'm looking for, just painful to try to try to get into some states and yeah. distribution. Well, that makes that makes a lot more sense then because obviously people will typically they'll drink a three or four year old rye, right? Like mm-hmm. if it settles in right and it's got the right flavor profile. Whereas bourbons, they're a little bit more picky about. Oh, if it's not four years old, it's not really bourbon. You know, people get a a real big mystique about that. You know, as far as that thing goes, so that makes a hundred percent more sense. So uh, I've been, you know, kind of following through and, and and watching what you guys are doing. And, and like Matt said, I, I'm more partial to some of the double oak stuff that you guys do. Tell us a little bit more about what that process looks like for you. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, the double oak. Uh, you know, it was really. I always like to say it was a happy accident. Double Oak was nothing any intentionally when we started distilling and barrel and aging everything. It was nothing we ever were like, we need to have this as a, as a portfolio piece or, you know what I mean? Or as an option. And then, you know, as the years went on, we were first distilling, we were going back, refilling barrels. Cause sometimes, you know, you have barrels that have like leaks or something happens with them. You just got to transfer them into another barrel. And when we do these tastings within this um, group of ours, like I said, it's me, Caleb and Nick, you know, we keep everything um, imaginable out of sight. Like I said, we don't, we don't proof them. We don't look at the ages. We don't, we don't record them. We taste them. And then afterwards we go back. And so we were tasting some of these barrels and we we're like, what is this? Like, this is fantastic. So we go back in the rig house to look at some bears like, this is a double oak. And we were finding this, like, trend of some of these really unique flavor profiles, which is very different. So we started, like, well, let's offer them as a single barrel. And so when we first, you know, did the single barrel selections, we wouldn't even tell them sometimes, like, there was a double oak in there. We would just want to see what they thought and, you know... um, thought of the barrel between like you know regular barrels and a lot of people were picking like this is so different fantastic what is this and we're like oh by the way you picked the double oak that was in there um whereas now we purposely caleb our master is still a brilliant 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 young man i mean you gotta think when he first started he was one of the youngest people in the industry to ever do this and he came from more of a science background rather than i enjoy whiskey and bourbon right um, his thought process was, how can I make the best whiskey and bourbon? But he got to, you know, shadow a couple good people within the industry and everything during during that time and uh, really had a palate for it. And that was his main concern. But then, so now we purposely taste barrels. So when barrels become of age, basically after they're four years old, um, we'll go ahead and start tasting through them. And um, he's kind of helped us along the way to develop our palate and purposely look for barrels to double oak, right? things that they may be lacking or need to calm down within them that are good candidates. Whereas now that's what we do when we're tasting through barrels that become of age. We know we're looking for barrels that are great candidates for single barrels, ones that are good for the batches that he puts together. And then ones that we can say, this will be fantastic if we double oak this. And, uh, he's done a great job. We just released our small batch double oak last year, which got number eight in whiskey advocate as the, one of the best top whiskeys in the world, which is crazy. And that was a mingle, you know, everything we do is a small batch, so it's only a mingle, about 25 to 30 barrels, which I always try to tell people at that point, you're not just masking a bunch of flavor together. Like, each and every barrel that we select in these batches that he wants to put in there are hand-selected for a reason. So, I mean, they all have a purpose within these batches is not just as um, fillers. And not that I'm saying anything's wrong with that. I'm just saying you have to be very careful when you do these small batches, especially with something as, like, double oak. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I, we sat here last time. Last time I was on was in this room, 
and we were talking about the best whiskeys of 2021 and um i'm it was my second favorite maybe my first i'm not sure but it was the the peerless double up for sure it was top two for me so and it was funny that because that's the first time i'd ever i never tried it i've seen it out there and then travis liked it so i was like all right well Travis likes it. If Travis likes it, we should try it more. <laughs> Most likely. I liked it a lot. He's got a great palate. If Travis says he likes something a lot, there's probably going to be a case of it bought the, the next day. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you know, it's crazy about that with the small batch double book that we released. You know, we did three different batches. You know, we have a 107, uh, one, 107.4, and a 107.9 on those. Okay. And the great thing about Peerless and what Caleb, you know, wants to do there and, you know, Corky and Carson, our owners, is... They're necessarily going to have a certain flavor profile. I mean, you can taste all three of the batches, and they're going to be a little bit different from one another, each other, but they're, they're always well, very well-rounded, right? It's not too extringent in one flavor profile or the other, which also I find exciting. I love the fact that, you know, from batch to batch, it's going to be a little different. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, are you guys going to, since, well, I guess my first question is, so you said the proofs come in at about 107, right? No, I mean, it, it's all over the board right now. As we're getting to some of these older stuff, I mean, we just released our, um, we just came out with our new small batch rives, 113.9 proof that we did. Yeah. And we just had a single barrel um, that was 120.1. Nice. I, I'm sorry. Wow. I, I meant for the double oaked. Those oh, the double oaked. Yeah, yeah, they were all coming out around like 107. So yeah, sorry. Do you guys like intentionally proof that? to a lower level or is it just like it just happens that just way happens you awesome. know every everything we do is barrel strength so literally the only time we ever add water to that product is before it goes into the barrel so we come off the still around 130 131 proof we'll proof everything down to 107 and then put it in the barrel so i always like tell people you know our water is an ingredient not a dilution it gets right. to go it's a little bit more soluble so it's going to go inside that barrel help extract a little bit more of that flavor and all that coloring too. Yeah, that's badass. So you guys use a similar model to Michter's, then I guess in that capacity, you're going yeah. at a lower proof point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get that flavor bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the fact so that good. you know we're a sweet sweet, sweet mash. mash. So I mean, we're using yeah. fresh ingredients every time. So there's no leftover, you know, distillation that gets thrown back in the cooker. So we're drawing out the full flavor, which in return, you know, we come off our still at a much lower proof typically. Yeah, and uh, just holds up great. You know, we taste our still every thirty minutes. By the way, I mean, we do 10 to 12 barrels a day. So we come out, if you're distilling, you know, you taste it every 30 minutes and make that call, you know, is this is this the peerless distillate that we want to put in? Because coming out every 30 minutes, and we don't run 24 hours, we run pretty much six to six, you know, every day, you're tasting at the beginning, middle, and end of every barrel that you're yeah. tasting that day. That's awesome. If you need someone hired to taste every 30 minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> Three candidates Don't hire right him. <laughs> so you want to hire somebody with a better palate than Matt. Wow. Someone who will show up on time and not have to leave immediately. Definitely on time today. Still leaving on time. He was on time. I was on time. You know, so Thank you very much. There's a rough morning every now and then, you know, you're going in there like, oh, oh man. I just need to put this in my coffee real quick. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. I'm sure it's fine. I just, I just love all that attention to detail. It's not the most cost-effective way to do it. Um, but the, the one thing I always tell people about Peerless is I don't know anybody that gets such a wide variety of flavor off their single barrels. I mean, you go to the gift shop um, and you've all, you run into you know mocha this and mango that and just everything. You got these names for all the barrels because you get these wild flavors. Uh, and they really do taste like that. And I think that that is 
uh, a credit to the you know attention to detail, the low entry proof, sweet mash, buying high quality barrels, non chill filtering, all that stuff that you guys are doing that is not cost effective. It's not easy, but it's um, producing something very high quality and very unique, especially in the single barrel um, program. Um, not to mention the the batches. Yeah, you know, it's one thing about corking them. They they never did anything to save a buck or two. That was never their, like, goal, like, what's the cheapest route or how can we save a dollar here? Um, I always like to say, you know, one thing we've always kind of adapted there is um, quality over quantity, right? Like, obviously, we could expand. We could do a lot more, but then you sacrifice a little bit of that quality standpoint, right? So we get to see everything underneath one roof. I mean, we cook there. We distill there. We bottle there. One of our rick houses is right on site that we can age up to close to about 2,000 barrels right there too as well. Um, so, I mean, we see every bit of it and, you know, we have a little bit unique, different process too. I mean, um, we don't do multi-level rick housing. You know, all our rick houses are one story. So, I mean, we go five to six high in them. Um, we don't temperature control them either. Uh, the one at the distillery is a brick rick house. And what's interesting now is that we're getting to that point where we have product that's coming from our other rick house that we had built. Um, we bought about 30 acres. We can build a couple more out there, out there in Henry County. And it holds about 5,200. And it's, you know, aluminum, right? Siding, but great ventilation. It sits on a hill, two big barn doors that open up, to let that air flow right through. And we are seeing some great things. We just started pulling some samples from out there and uh, starting to taste of these barrels. It, it was absolutely exciting to see the different flavor profiles and stuff like that we get out of them. But I will say when it comes to the gift shop picks, you know, there's always one ringer that we have there at the distillery. And, uh, you know, uh, she helps taste of the barrels. Her name is Peyton. Uh, and she does a great job. So you're speaking about naming the barrels and how close they are. So a lot of times we'll go to her. Uh, we'll sit down with her and let her taste these barrels, and we're like, hey, what should we call this one? And she she has a fantastic palate, and uh, she helps name a lot of these barrels, too. She uh, helps out a little bit with the barrel program and, and stuff like that as well. Shout out Peyton. Yeah, Pey- Peyton, she's on. If you're ever, if you're ever um, at Peerless, make sure you ask her. She's down there. She helps run the, the gift shop retail, and she's like our uh, little behind-the-scenes taster. Gotcha. So uh, I assume the sweet mash is what attributes to the fact of what Travis was talking about, the fact that you get so many different flavor profiles out of, you know, all the different things that you guys release. And you want to talk a little bit more about that detail of it? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously when we're tasting through single barrels and things like that, we have barrels for the program. Um, but, you know, our Caleb, our master distiller, he wanted to really provide um, something special for the people that are peerless. You know, all these people come in from out of town. You know, the first one of the first questions is, well, what do you sell here? Um, so he has a line of single barrels that he'll pick out when we're tasting through the barrels that he really likes and enjoy. And those are the ones we'll actually put through our gift shop there. Um, and they're fantastic. Like I said, he has a great palate. And what's great about him is, you know, you got to think everyone's palate's different, right? So me and Nick, were city boys. We grew up here in Louisville, Kentucky. Caleb grew up in a Salt Lake, Kentucky. So sometimes it's not necessarily about what you're tasting, but where your mind takes you, right, when you're tasting through these barrels. I know it sounds crazy for anybody out there listening that everyone always talks about, you know, you know what you get off your palate. But, I mean, it really does. Like, there's been plenty of times you taste something and it brings back a certain memory. And his are more like out in the pasture sitting on a farm somewhere, and we're like, we have no idea what you're talking about, but I know what you're talking about flavor-wise. Um, I, so, total, I totally get that because one day I was talking about the fact that I got something that was leathery, but it tasted like baseball glove leather, and, and, and people acted like I was crazy when I said that. It, well, having been able to smell is being able to taste. Think about that. I think people forget that connection too, right? Sometimes you smell something, but 
you know, like you're like you, you taste it. And that's why, you know, nosing is a big part because we're sitting here. Some people are like, why do people nose it? I mean, you're priming your palate. It's all about that. Uh, what do they call it? That olfactory bowl, you know, in the front front part of your lobe there that helps your mind and memory go yep. together. But it's always a bit, again, kind of off topic, but it's always interesting to see how Caleb tastes versus we do. And um, he picks some fantastic barrels to put up there to the gift shop. Now, Scott, in, in retrospect, you're crazy normally, so just anything you say <laughs> flavor profile-wise, we're just going to take that with a grain of salt. That is fair enough. But I, So I, I'm the, I would say I'm the best of both worlds, right? Like, I grew up on a farm. Whatever helps you sleep at night, yeah, buddy. Why would anybody say that? Why would anybody <laughs> about say About you? <laughs> fair enough, but I will say. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, as a kid, no, so I, we, I lived on eight or nine acres, but my grandparents had a 400-acre farm. So I, I know what it's like to be a farm boy. Like, yeah. I know what it's like to bail hay. I know those type of things. And I remember those things about the fields and the tobacco farms that my grandma and grandpa on the other side of my family um, lived near and things to that nature. So I, I, I remember those type of things as a kid. But I also, because I, I spent the later part of my formative years here in like the Louisville area, you know, so it was always running around doing different things that, like that. So I, I can tie a lot of stuff to those memories as well. So, and that's what I always tell people is, you know, for bourbon, it's a lot tied to your memory and olfactory and all the other senses that come with it. So that makes a hundred percent sense why he picked something different than what you would. And, you know, that's the thing about, you know, all three of us taste very differently and we all have very um, different things that we like with inside things. So the the great thing about our barrel program, which I love, is that, you know, we're not just willing out barrels, right? Like, hey, we taste this barrel from this lot that day. We'll use all these 10 for the program. Um, I don't enjoy necessarily earthy notes in my bourbon, you know, whereas Caleb loves those. So the great thing about having a little bit of diverse program is, you know, I may knock a barrel, but am I knocking it because it's bad or is it because I just don't like the flavor profile of it? Where when you have a team and a panel of this, um, everyone, res- Caleb respects everyone's opinion. So if Caleb absolutely loves a barrel, but myself or Nick or Peyton's like, uh, you know, I just don't know if that's single barrel quality. We just take it out. Like he doesn't question it. He doesn't say, well, I want it in here. It's going to be in here. Um, he may take it for himself and say, you know, hey, I'm going to put this up front. Um, but we all have three uh, three or four very different palettes that we what we enjoy and stuff like that. And I think that's really what helps the program um, and some of these diverse barrels that you'll actually come in and see when you come into Peerless. Where, you know, some of your bigger places or things like that, you know, they want to stick with a certain flavor profile. You know, they don't want to divvy outside of that. Whereas we like to explore that wild side of the barrels that we have come through there. One other thing that I really appreciate, and this is this is probably the, the thing that I appreciate the most about Peerless, is the actual bottle design, the cork design. Like there just seems to be a lot of a lot of attention to detail with you know how you pick that and what it is. Can you give us a little bit more insight on how that happened, or do you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, you know it's it's a absolute beautiful bottle. It took about two years to design that, and um, Corky. So we're owned by Corky and Carson Taylor. Um, Corky's son, Carson, he's our president, um, and he helped build that. He used to be a builder. So if you've ever been to the distillery, you come down there. It's an old tobacco warehouse we bought downtown, and he designed and did the whole layout. But he designed our bottle. It took him two years. We found a company outside of Atlanta, Georgia, that actually do our bottle. Um, so it's virgin glass. If you notice, if you ever get a chance to get your hands on it, no coloring or anything like that in, inside the bottle. Um, it has Henry Craver's original signature, Corky's great-grandfather, who started the distillery in 1889. And it's based off our doubler. So if you ever seen what a doubler looks like or you come down the peerless, I mean, it literally looks almost like our doubler. We used a real cork. 
um, on top of there too as well. It has a solid piece of glass on there because if you look underneath the bottom, it even has our address um, on the bottom of the bottle just to show people that we didn't source any product. And for anybody that's a listener doesn't know exactly what that means, basically, you know, when you start your distillery, you need product to sell. Um, so some people will buy the barrels, they'll bring them back there, dump them until their product's ready, um, which is nothing wrong with that 100%. I love plenty of source stuff. We just chose... Um, you know, as a distillery and family that we didn't want to do anything. We didn't want to source any products. So anything you get from us, we made right there in downtown Louisville. So you mentioned the address on the bottom, and I literally have never noticed that. That's pretty cool. Hmm. I, I didn't notice that or didn't know that either. If you look on the back label, we're also um, KLAS certified. For anybody that likes to be kosher, we are 100% oh, yeah, kosher it as is. a distillery. Um, we have a rabbi that comes in quarterly, does a little blessing. We have a toast. Um, checks the place out and uh, I, f- I find that pretty cool because most distilleries if, uh, a lot of people notice that it's only like a part of their distillery that's kosher certified where our whole place is actually kosher um, certified hmm. good to know good to know so it's been interesting for me over the years <clears throat> to watch um, Peerless because I remember the beginning um, I remember seeing the space and learning about the cost and then hearing about what the retail price was going to be and, and dealing with all of that and um, moving along, finally tasting, you know, the young rye and there was some um, moonshine there at first and um, they're just like, hang on, just, just bear with us. And it's like, oh man, I don't know, $100 for a two-year rye, like it's not bad, you know, but like that's crazy still. I get it. They spend a lot of money. Like this place is cool. They're doing it right. <clears throat> we talk to enough people there, and they say, "Look, man, just hang in with us. We're not. We're not going to be raising the prices. Um, you know that can obviously change." But uh, I, I, I fast forward here now. You know, six or seven years later, and um, the prices have not gone up. I think if anything, they've gone down a little bit. Uh, but the quality has grown into that, and uh, and I think you see what the vision is, or was and is still um, with the high quality. Um, it, it's it's awesome to me to to sit here and watch all these years later, people finally starting to realize what uh, good whiskey Peerless makes. Um, not just the bourbon, but now the rye, which is the was what people were kind of hating on. Because uh, it was expensive and it was young. I get that. But now uh, everybody got excited about the bourbon and now you're starting to see like, I'm, I want that rye. Like, give me that Kentucky rye. Give me that. My biggest thing right now is low proof, barrel proof. So if you can give me something at 107 that's barrel proof, like, dude, I'll do that all day long. Like, you can have your 130, 140. Like, that's cool. I like it. But I want, this is what I want. Low entry proof, sweet mash high quality ingredients made in a facility that really cares about what they're doing. It costs them a lot of money to do it, to get started. You got a beautiful bottle. The people are amazing. Everything about it is it's just a high quality product and, and I'm here for it all day long. So it's awesome for me to see where it is now, um, you know, all these years later. Yeah. I mean, I started there before we even had product out. So I mean, it's crazy to see where we are and, um, kind of two parts that to what you were speaking about. One, you know, it was a little bit before my time. Like I, I remember, um, hearing about the price point and everything. And I think, I think about it two ways. I'm like, man, someone was a genius, right? Like we entered a, uh, a two year ride to the market. I think it was like 124 when it first came out, maybe. 
and got tons of um, spotlight on it, right? Because of the price point, no one really tried it yet, but you know, they were hearing what's come out as. Would it have been that big of a spotlight if it just would have been a two-year ride, right? Say at like 50, 40 bucks. So it's like one of those things you think about, like, was one of the popularity because everyone was talking about it because of the price point? I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong. The quality was fantastic in it, in my opinion. But I also think, about, like, what if we would have came out at, like, you know, a, a $50, $60 rye? Like, would that would I even created any buzz or anything about it? Um, about it, too. So, you know, I don't know who ever came out with that. But I, I think every everything we've done has led us to the path we are now, as you said, like, in our quality. We have never cut corners on a quality standpoint. Um, when it comes to anything we do down there too, which I absolutely love. It's never been about saving money or making things easier. Um, Caleb, Corky, their main focus has always been, you know, what's going to help us make a better product. And we've made changes. We made upgrades, things like that. We keep two different mash bills. You know, the mash bills never change. But as far as, you know, people don't think about it, it's like what pumps we're using. How fast are we pumping this in? Um, what's our chilled water system look like compared to, you know, our boiler system? All these things, the little tiny details that people don't think about, we are always improving behind the scenes. Um, this fact is, or you know, as far as equipment and things like that go and, and how we do things. Um, but also think about, I mean, before Peerless came out their two-year rye and now we have our bourbon and everything else out, I mean, who was really doing a sweet mash before then, though, too? You know, I think Peerless kind of introduced something a little bit different. I mean, I know, I know there was, but who really fully dedicated to their full time of doing sweet mash that had a, a rye out at the time? I mean, maybe Neely? Neely I said, it's us, Neely, and Wilderness Trail. And I know yeah. Wilderness Trail, have, have, they have blown up there and make a... Both places make amazing product. But, I mean, as far as, like, being in the spotlight, you maybe, had kind of... Maybe Michter's. Yeah. I'd yeah. have to see. But other than that, no one was really doing it full-time. And I think Peerless did a great job at cap capitalizing on that, too, and having something very unique and different. And not just that, but the history. You know, the history behind it wasn't just some new distillery. It was an older brand that had been revived by the great-grandson, too. So let's dive a little bit more into to that piece of it, um, the, the whole history and heritage behind it. And then um, also, Travis had mentioned something about the fact quality of product, barrel, things like that. Are you guys getting barrels from multiple sources, or are you guys just pretty much sticking with one specific? We stick with one um, place, and man, they are fantastic. If you've been out there and you probably have heard their name, they're called Kelvin Cooperage. Um, originally from Scotland, you know, but based right here in Louisville now, and they're about 20 minutes away from the distillery. And the great thing about Kelvin's is, is, you know, you know, they're still doing everything by hand, but when it comes time to char and heat up their barrels and everything, they don't use any gas or infrared for that process. So they take all that leftover oak from the barrel staves and the stuff that they're making and they make these fire pits with it. So, right, it's all natural heat that they're going to put inside these barrels. Um, and we do a medium toast with a level three char. And not a lot of people talk about toasting or it's becoming more unpopular now. You know, you're going to see, but you know, that was a, a, it's a great part about the barrel because, you know, I always tell people, think about like a marshmallow, you know, uh, you've ever eaten a marshmallow out of the bag. It's pretty good. But how much better is it when you slowly roast it first, get all that flavor, all that sugar and everything going inside. So we do a medium toast first, it takes about an hour long. And then we do a level three char inside of everything. Um, so we don't differ or anything like that from from that standpoint. But they're, they're they're fantastic. They by far have some of the best quality barrels. Gotcha. Now back to the history. So the history. So you know, uh, just a little bit about anybody out there listening for Peerless. You know, we started back in 1889. So owned by Corky and Carson Taylor. His great grandfather Henry Craver started it. 
Um, but you know, he was a Polish Jew, came over from Poland, moved to like the Manhattan area, came over by boat when he was about five years old. Um, when he was nine, 10 years old, selling newspapers on the corner, just trying to make a buck. But he moved when he was about 18, 19 years old. He had enough money saved up that his idea was he was going to get on a riverboat. He was going to take all of his money and wherever he ran on money is where he was going to get off at. Doesn't make much sense, but, you know, different times back then. So he took a boat all the way down to Henderson, Kentucky. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's about two hours west of here of Louisville, um, just right on the river. No one really knows why he passed up Louisville. Um, you know, it was a much bigger <clears throat> city at the time. Uh, but the family said, you know, he was known to be a party animal. So they said he was probably drunk gambling or sleeping um, on the boat. So I don't think it makes sense why he would have passed up Louisville. But he ended up in Henderson, um, bought the distillery from a friend, Mr. Warsham, um, changed the name to Peerless. And at the time when he took it over, they were only doing about 10 to 12 barrels a week. But in two years, he had um, kind of spent a lot of money into it, bought him a brand new still. And they were doing, you know, over 200 barrels during that time. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice. Uh, but before we close down, you know, we, he, we actually shut down our stills before Prohibition. He had actually kind of saw it coming. We had our still shut down. Um, Prohibition came along. You know, there was 220 distilleries in the state at the time, and only six got a license to sell alcohol. So when you find some of our old Prohibition bottles, you won't see necessarily Peerless written on those bottles, but you will see Henry Craver's name being a producer of some of that alcohol. So we have a couple of old Pro Prohibition bottles at the distillery, one which is unopened with the original tax stamp and seal on there. Super cool bottle. Um, but you'll see it says the American Medicinal Spirits Company, but produced by Henry Craver. So we sold off a lot of barrels during Prohibition. Um, and then obviously, you know, our stills, cool little connection we have with Venom, Copper, and Brass, right? So everyone knows Venom, Copper, and Brass. They're one of the biggest leading or still manufacturers. So Mr. Warsham was the best uh, welder in the time, during that time. So he, uh, Henry Craver had him come down, just assemble our sill, put it on a train cart, and take it up to Vancouver, where he reassembled up up there. I'm, I'm sure they make, make, make brandy or whatnot. And because of that money, he started Venom, Copper, and Brass. And we found that out when we went to him to buy our still. Um, we, Corky and Carson went in there, and they were telling him, you know, who their family was. And uh, Rob was like, hey, I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. And he brought, like, the family back in. He told them the story, like, hey, because of your great-grandfather, he put our great-grandfather in business which is why now Venom Copper and Brass is around. So our, our history runs deep. You know, if you know anything about DSP numbers and things like that, we have the original DSP number, which is your distilled, spirit, the distilled spirits plant number, which is 50. So what's crazy to think about that is like your government number. When you open up, the government issues you a, a number. Uh, think about what Wild Turkey, right? They're 139. Maker's Mark, 444. Buffalo Trace is what, 113? 116 yeah. somewhere around there so i mean they were around a lot longer than some of the original distilleries we just didn't make anything over in 100 years so while we are a new distillery and we didn't copy the recipe or anything like that it really wasn't about bringing back the recipe it was bringing back the quality of, of the product um we got to keep an original dsp number which i will say was the first time in government history the family actually was able to go back and claim original dsp number took him two years he said two years a lot of lawyers and a lot of money he had to prove it everything like who he was but um we're glad to be able to have that dsp number back if we wouldn't have gotten that dsp number to give you an idea of where it's at now we would have been about twenty thousand. like 233 would have been the dsp number we would have got crazy right that is pretty insane when you sit back and think about that 
that's how much this industry's grown exponentially over the last, you know, I would say probably five to ten years. Wouldn't you agree, Travis and Matt? Yeah. Okay. Yes. We're getting head shakes. Yep. If you would have came to Louisville, let's just say five years ago, eight years ago, been a completely different vibe downtown to where it has, you know, one of our leading incomes is, you know, the tourism that we get here because of bourbon. You can go down almost anywhere downtown, walk in, get a pour of some bourbon, go into a distillery, tasting room, and uh, it's great to see just the city thriving um, downtown with everything that's changed from being so industrial to now restaurants. I mean, our cocktail and food scene here is amazing. Yeah, Louisville's very much known for its foodie scene, and, and I think that the cocktail scene has just come right with it, so... We were talking about this before we got on the air um, about uh, how now I think Louisville is the bourbon destination, not Bardstown. When I was coming here five, six, seven years ago, you flew into Louisville Airport and drove straight to Bardstown and stayed down at the Hampton Inn. That's not that way anymore. You you got to stay in Louisville. I mean, there's more distilleries here. There's more gift shop releases here. There's more restaurants. There's more bars. Blah 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 blah. I mean, this is the place to be. So I love Bardstown. I'm not taking anything away from Bardstown, but things have changed in my opinion. Uh, and Louisville is definitely one of the coolest places in the country to be right now. If if you want to be involved in in spirits and and in that uh, vibe, I mean, this is the place to be. I'll get, I'll get some groups that come in every now and then. They'll be like, oh, like, where are you staying at? Because when they come to buy a barrel, they see the store. Like, oh, we're staying in Barstown, but we should have stayed in Louisville. And it's no, no knock. Like you said, yeah. no knock against Barstown. There's just you can so do both. much happening here yeah. um, that people want to be here because of all the bars, restaurants, and things like that we have here. Yeah, 100%. Well, hey, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show and everything else. Do you want to tell people where they can come to Peerless or how the best way to find you guys or to follow you and yeah, things to that nature? No, absolutely. So, you know, if you're ever in Louisville, we are at 120 North 10th Street. So if you're familiar with the Louisville Slugger building downtown, we are a block up from that. Just take a right on 10th Street. We're right there on the left. We do uh, tours and tastings. We're open Monday through Saturday from 10 to 5. Um, you can reach out to me personally at my email, or you can find me on social media at Instagram at sir underscore J Wadle, um, or find me on Facebook at John Wadle. But yeah, or you can reach out to me at email. It's John at Kentucky If you have a group bar, restaurant, anybody that's interested in, uh, getting that single barrel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to find Bourbon Barrel Talk, you can find us on all of our social media outlets. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at bourbonbarreltalk at gmail.com or message us on any of those other avenues as far as the social media goes. You can also make sure you hit the subscribe button. We're on all of the outlets out there, whether it be iTunes, Spotify. That's my personal favorite and uh, everyone else. So this is Scott, Matt, John, and Travis signing off. Peace. Later.